Hello, and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. Wherever you are, we hope that you are well and safe. We are both of those things. I'm Giles Brandreth, uh, speaking to you from my little attic studio, homemade, self-isolation attic studio in London. And uh, at the other end of the line is my dear friend, Susie Dent. Where are you, Susie? I am in the same place I was last week, actually. I'm in my uh, study or little the, the room where I do all my work, uh, essentially. Still staring at those props from Comedy Countdown. The piñata has got a little bit menacing, actually. The mention of Comedy Countdown reminds us who Susie is. <laughs> she is the lady who first became famous as the doyen of Dictionary Corner on the word game Countdown on Channel 4, but has grown and evolved from that into the world's most best regarded lexicographer and amusing personality. The reason for watching 9 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown is... Oh, is it? (laughs) Shows you how regularly I've tuned in. Is is Jimmy Carr still doing it? Jimmy Carr is still there. And uh, yes, I am not providing the comedy on that show. I'm completely the stooge. Uh, But it's fun. Anyway. I hope you're providing the comedy today. Now, look, uh, we talk about words. If you're new to this, we we meet once a week, either virtually or in person, and we talk about words and language because both of us have had a lifetime loving words and language. And uh, I'm feeling fairly upbeat. I've had my moments of being a bit blue Mm. over the last few days because it's quite strange. Life is a bit strange. Mm. Uh, are you feeling reasonably upbeat? Um, I like you. I have my moments. I think it's such a cliche, isn't it, to take it one day at a time? But I think whenever I think, when am I going to actually get out of this? When are we going to get out of this? Then it does become a bit overwhelming, and it is hard. And it's just you know, I think unprecedented. It's likely to be one of the contenders for the Oxford Word of the Year, isn't it? Or for any dictionary publisher, really. But it's it's just such a good word because everything is strange. It's strange. It's- I'm finding that I'm dreaming much more vividly. Dreams Me too. At the I had a very strange one last night, which I'm not going to. I'm not going to divulge. <laughs> it was really odd. It wasn't saucy. Oh. I can see. I, I should just say I have Giles up on a camera, so I can see. You can the, see me. The, the looks that my comments engender, but it was yeah, it was just very weird. I've had some pretty weird ones, but some rather sweet ones as well. Mm-hmm. I've I've been dreaming. It must be said of people I've loved and lost. Oh. My parents. My parents have occurred in my dreams. And two nights ago, I dreamt my mother was reading me a bedtime story. Oh, dear. Oh, wow. Was that tell Were us? you an adult yes. or a child at the time? No, I was a child in the dream, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't That's appear lovely. in the dream. She appeared in the dream. So that, I suppose, was quite reassuring. It is. I've just written I an mentioned... article, actually, about how... Huh? I think at the moment our language is reflecting this kind of lockdown as well, because I don't know about you, but I'm really reaching back to the language of my childhood in terms of, you know, saying, oh, your plimpsoles need a bit of a clean to my youngest. But actually, I've never used the word plimpsoles, or at least I haven't for decades. And suddenly the language of home is really comforting. So I think a lot of people are beginning to, you know, like how we sort of put our dialect on or we, we sort of adopt it again a bit like a kind of cozy baggy jumper um i think that's what we're doing at the moment this could be our theme for next week cozy language warm yes. and reassuring words yes, or dialect, this week indeed. this week we're going to talk about words to do with color because i mentioned we were feeling or i was feeling a bit blue yeah. and then i suddenly wondered 
What's the origin of feeling a bit blue? What's that about? Well, it's funny, isn't it? It's got really distinct associations in English, but also very many different ones. So it can be the colour of the sky or a deep sea on a clear day. Um, And there's the beautiful word cerulean, which I think has been one of my trio, actually, but it is that colour of a a clear blue sky. So that's one which kind of implies serenity and halcyon days. But as you said, it's also used for melancholy the melancholy thing specifically was down to the blue devils, which in medieval times were thought to visit certainly alcoholics or anyone who was feeling a bit worse for wear. And anyone who had the blues had been visited by the blue devils, particularly when they had the DTs. So that was why it kind of well, spawned the, the blues. It's the music, of course, the kind of slightly sad, melancholic music, but also that idea of having the blues. And then you've got this kind of obscene sense of blue, you know, or a, a bit kind of bawdy, a blue joke. And that we think is down to the blue ink of the senses when they used to kind of strike through scripts or newspaper articles, etc., they would use a blue pencil. But also prostitutes in prisons were forced to wear blue gowns so that they would stand out and be kind of openly mocked. So it's all those kind of historical associations, I think, that are fed into it. What about once in a blue moon? Blue moon, well, blue moon does actually exist. It does happen. And I'm no astronomer, but that's why it's such a rare event that a blue moon actually can exist and that that gave rise to the expression. Oh, it's so rare. It means once in a blue moon, once in a... Very rarely will this happen, but it will once once in a while. Yeah, I think so. I'm just, just looking at it here. It says a visit, visually blue moon, so the moon appearing with a bluish tinge, may occur under certain atmospheric conditions. For example, if volcanic eruptions or fires release particles in the atmosphere of just the right size. And I, I think it's all to do with scattering red light and then it gives it that bluish tinge. If you're feeling blue, you can be feeling low. What about the black dog? The black That's a kind of dog. expression for feeling depressed, isn't it? Winston Churchill famously yes. used to complain that he suffered from the black dog. Yes. And was this a kind of black dog that faced you or sat on your shoulder, confronted I you? I think it became popular because of Winston Churchill, um, because he, he did get frequent bouts of depression, didn't he, or periodically. But it's been around since the late 18th century, and it was used even before then, actually, during Queen Anne's reign for a bad shilling which is quite interesting. Oh. So whether or not that had kind of had the associations, but it's all, it's a bit like... A, Forgive me, why, why was it used for a bad show? I have no black dog? idea. I knew you would ask me that. So my trusty friend in, in the, <laughs> the guise of the Oxford English Dictionary is here. Let me have a look. Um, but a brown study is quite similar, isn't it, to being a brown study? I always assumed that that meant you were kind of in somewhere with drab decor. But again, it means kind of, you know, sort of melancholy reverie morose morose having a brown study being morose exactly so here we go 1665, any of various base metal coins of low value. Um, So it could be a counterfeit English silver coin or a coin of French origin made of copper and silver and used extensively in parts of the West Indies during the 17th and 18th century. First record, 1665, see here this piece. It's called a black dog with Queen Elizabeth's head thereon, which is only pewter, double washed. There you go. It's an undervalued coin. Yes. It's a bit of depression. What about black books? 
Well, ah, you're in my black books. What does that mean? Well, there were several real black books in English history. So they were official books that were officially bound in black, literally bound in black. So there was the Black Book of the Exchequer. This was around um, the 12th century. And that recorded all the royal revenues. Um, and there was the Black Book of the Admiralty. That was a code of rules for the Navy. But the most famous one, which gave rise to our expression, is the one that recorded monastic abuses and and it was this that provided the evidence for Henry VIII for his dissolution of the monasteries. So by the 16th century, it had started to be used for a book in which names were recorded of people who faced punishment. So that's why we talk about somebody being in the black books. It was literally a black book or several. Here we are with the colour purple. Something rhymes with purple. <laughs> we know it does. We call our little podcast that because purple rhymes with purple. But... Um, is purple associated with anything in the language? Oh, yes, the, the, the purple something of, of power, of, of the purple colour of luxury. Exactly. What is purple? Yes. So purple, um, just like crimson actually, is named after a shellfish. And at one time, in fact, crimson and purple described the same colour. I should say, I don't know what your favourite colour was uh, when you were growing up, but mine was always purple. I would always say purple was my oh. favourite. Um, oh, no, yellow was mine. Oh, really? OK. Um, but the first thing to be described as purple was a crimson dye that was obtained from some mollusks, and they were called porphyra in Greek. And the dye was really rare and really expensive, and it was used for colouring the robes of Roman emperors and magistrates because they could afford it. But the actual colour really vary quite widely and over time it came to mean the colour between red and blue that we call purple today. The mollusks yes. were called purple. Well they were called because... porphyra which eventually sort of moved into morphed into purple. And porphyra is that disease which certain members of the royal family used to have including they? the mad king is that right? Yes so porphyria porphyria ah was a disorder that led to a variety of symptoms which uh, really affected the skin and the nervous system. I think because it's to do with the blood, I wonder if it gave a tinge to I think it did. The I skin. seem to remember a skin and also purple urine. Oh, OK, really? Wow. This rings a distant bell. OK, that's interesting. I've never had purple urine before. Uh, no, I'm pleased to hear it. Purple I'm relieved weed, to hear it. I could have a new print song. Well, could have been. Let's move swiftly on. Green. <laughs> green. How green was my valley? Now, green, of course, is uh, if you're green, somebody's green, it means they're naive. Yes. There was a children's comic when I was a little boy in which there was a cartoon about Lettuce Leaf, the greenest girl in the school, <laughs> which meant that she was the most naive, the most innocent. Oh, was Lettuce. Lettuce actually was once her first name, wasn't it? I think. Lettuce, of course. It still is. Is it? I know there's a very distinguished actress, young actress, called Lettuce Thomas, uh, known as Letty. Yes. But her full name is Lettuce. OK. Lettuce Thomas. Did you know, just to throw this in, which has nothing to do with green, but Lettuce has got a connection with lait, which is fr French for milk. And it's all to do with the fact that when you squeeze a lettuce leaf, a little kind of milky substance kind of comes out. And so it was named after that little milk-like liquid. So the French word for milk, which is lait, comes from lettuce. Uh, well, vice versa. So we got lettuce via French, but ultimately from the Latin lettuce in French. And then it was lactuca, I think, in uh, Latin. And it's all because of that milky juice. Anyway, green, it won't surprise you to know, is a sibling of grass and also grow. So it's it's kind of, it's lush, isn't it? But it's also 
young, I guess. It's the kind of living plants when they're in their, their prime or just before their prime, uh, before they flower. So an inexperienced person has been called green since the Middle Ages. Yeah, there's that lovely line in Antony Cleopatra yes. about my salad, salad days, days when I was green in judgment. Yes. And of course, green's been the colour of jealousy and envy. So it was Othello, I think, wasn't it, that gave us... The green-eyed monster. Green-eyed Beware monster. the green-eyed monster. Which doth mark but, the meat it feeds on. But it is gre- it's green-eyed. It's the eyes that are green, looking in an envious way. Yeah. yeah. So green is the colour of youth, naivety, but also envy. What about the green light? And growth as well. Uh, Giving something green light is just traffic lights, I think. Uh, We have green fingers, if you're good at growing plants, because you do gardening a lot. The green shoots of recovery. So it can be be really good. It's got a slightly mixed life, isn't it? It's sort of good all that. And they talk about projects being green lighted in the movie industry. Yes. Oh, you got the money. It's green. We're green lighted. Yes, or we're That's green lit. Yes, absolutely. Seeing red. Seeing red. Yes, red is another really interesting one in English. Lots and lots of things. So there's the red that is associated with, uh, I guess, bullfighting. So if a bull sees red, then it will get supposedly. I don't know if this is borne out in fact, and I hate the whole I idea of bullfighting. I think they are supposed to be colourblind, and it uh, isn't the red, it's the moving of the, um, uh, whatever, the you know, the, the, the cape mm-hmm. that's being waved in front of them. And the red is for the benefit it's of the It's hideous anyway. Is that, is that the origin of it? Yes, yeah, seeing red. The, the bullfighter's cape? Yes. I thought it was because people became red around the face. Well, that too. So if you're, if you... The if, blood rose. Yes, if you get red with anger. I'm sure, I'm sure it all kind of draws on the same thing. Um, but red-blooded, of course, is filled with spirit and vigour and earthy and lusty and all that. You have red tape. Legal and official documents have been bound with red tape for centuries. And they still are, which is amazing. Are they? In, not only in Parliament, but in barristers' chambers. Oh. I go to barristers' chambers because I have a son who is a barrister. Yes. And I see briefs, as they're called, yes. which are not underpants. They are no. the documents telling you what the case is all about, which is a piece of A4, as it were, folded so that it's not folded in half, but folded so that it still remains a long brief. And then around it, tying it up, is a little bit of pink ribbon, known as, yeah, Red tape. You've just reminded me of the first words of my book, which was all about tribal language and all about language that could be spectacularly misinterpreted by anyone who doesn't know about the language of chambers. Uh, so the clock says, two lots of sex, miss. Old Bailey, tomorrow or at 10. And Miss X goes, digitals? Clark goes, yes, no briefs, just quickies. You've been invited for both by Mr. Y. And Miss X says, punters. And the clerk says, Jimmy P and Bob H. And Miss X says, OK, I'm up for that. Um, and that's, that's a, a true exchange that, as I say, could mean something very different in the wrong hands. Also incomprehensible unless you know the lingo. I know, I know. That, that's the strange thing about language. Caught red-handed. I've been caught red-handed. Blood on your hands. It's as simple as that. But, you know, we're talking about bound up in red tape, etc. But you've also got the rubric. Um, and the rubric is, that goes back to red as well, because the red earth or ochre, as it was, used as a writing material, gave us the word rubric, which is heading on a document or a set of instructions and rules. That gave us that gave us rubric, but that's all about red. And miniature as well, something miniature, that was originally all about red, because the Latin for vermilion was minium, and when monks and scribes decorated that, you know, those beautiful initial letters of chapters in illuminated manuscripts, often they'd be in the strong red 
pigment. And that's what miniatura in Italian first came to mean. And then it kind of transferred over to the little tiny small images that we'd be painted within those initial letters. And over time, the word lost any connection with red and then just uh, referred to those small pictures, which had become known as miniatures. Hmm. Some things are very obvious. I was thinking about, uh, because amazingly, a friend of mine only got back from Barbados mm. this last week. Wow. Can you imagine? Wow. Yes. And and when I'd been, I emailed him in Barbados about 10 days ago, no longer than that, and said about some business thing happening here. And he replied saying, what's going on? He seemed completely oblivious to what was happening in the rest of the world. Wow. And at that stage, it was about 10 days ago, yeah. only one person in Barbados uh, was suffering from the virus. Right. Anyway, he then he then woke up and got, I think, the last plane out of Barbados. But he told me he was um, he'd come over his head on the red eye. Now, that obviously is called the red eye because, because it's the airplane that keeps you awake all night. Yes. Absolutely. And you end up with red eyes. You absolutely do. Um, and we've got red letter days as well, haven't we? Ah, um, that's biblical? No, well, Roman, really, because particularly significant days in the Roman calendar, and in fact, most of classical antiquity, I think, were rubricated, going back to rubric. rubric. Uh, so they were written in red ink. Those inks containing the red ochre were really prized and reserved for any writing of significance. So red was reserved for really, really special days in uh, the calendar. So Christian festivals, saints' days or any other important days became known a bit later in the 14th century as red letter days. If you're in the red, it means you're in debt. And that's to do with the ink, Again, ink. in the ledger, the bankers that yes, used red ink. exactly right. When, when they were tallying up the accountants, that's to do with red for being in debt and black for being in credit. Oh, well, we don't want to be in the red, we want to be in the pink. In the oh. pink! What's the origin of in that? The p- pink's a really strange one. So pink originally referred to this kind of murky, greenish, yellow colour. And the, the colour we know today as pink didn't get its name until... I think it was the 1600s. And before then, anything that was kind of pale red would have been described simply as rose or rosy coloured. Then we get in the pink, meaning in good health. And we get the sort of the pink of uh, of youth. or It meant really a prime example of something. And you first find that in Romeo and Juliet, in the very pink of courtesy. And this all goes back to, the colour included, the flowers known as pinks. Is it Dianthus family? They're known as pinks because they're pinked edges, not their colour. So the pinked, um, you know, if you sort of like, if you think of pinking shears, that's what the flower looks like. Um, it's sort of serrated petals and they were amongst the most prized flowers in Elizabethan England and, and it was those really that gave the idea to pink that, yeah, the one that we know today and are you pinky the, by the way the, sorry oh yeah pinky is your little finger yes, isn't it nothing to do with pink I, and everything. I'm sorry people can't we, we can see each other on <laughs> zoom and I'm waving my little pinky at Susie now why is one's little finger called a pinky yeah nothing to do with the colour pink although that might have kind of influenced it but it goes back to the Dutch I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this properly it's P-I-N-K J-E, so Pinkie, maybe? Pinkie? Yes, Pinkie, yeah. very good. But I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this whole colour psychology. Maybe we can talk about that after the break, because in Italy, for example, a black sheep is somebody who's incredibly confident and independent, where it means something completely different here. Oh, the black sheep of the family, mm. you're right, absolutely. Just don't leave pink for a moment. In the pink means being jolly, meaning I'm in the best of health, oh. I suppose. Oh, because your cheeks are pink, well, as opposed to having red eyes and 
feeling being black under the eye you're in the pink is that it well it's tempting to presume it does come from that your rosy complexion but it does go back to that old-fashioned use of pink to mean the best of something uh, as shakespeare used it yeah fine so you're in the best what about tickled pink I'm tickled pink, tickled. meaning I'm as happy as Larry. Yeah, tickled pink. What's happy pink. as Larry? What's that about? Oh. <laughs> I think it's the same idea. Oh, I'll tell you about Larry later. Uh, I think it's the same idea, tickled pink. So, yes, you probably have got a little bit of a pink complexion if you've been tickled. Don't get me onto tickling because I've got a phobia about it. Um, but, again, it's that idea of just in great spirits, you are tickled pink. And then you are as happy as Larry. What's the origin of that? All right, we'll do that and then we'll go to the break. Larry, well, some people think it might have been Larry Foley, who was a prize US boxer who won many a fight and retired early in his 30s, very happy. So some people think it was a reference to that. But in fact, we think it goes back to an old dialect word, larrikin. And a larrikin was a kind of mischievous child uh, up up to no good, but having a lot of fun along the way. So they were happy as a larrikin. Well... Let's have a very quick break, a very quick one, because I want to find out about rose-tinted spectacles. Back in a moment. Also from something else. Mel Gedroich is quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories, all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... Uh, uh, This is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, by finding out when he discovers that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. Okay. (laughs) Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. Welcome back to Something Rhymes With Purple. I was just telling Susie Dent that I'm in the pink. And one of the reasons I'm in the pink this week is that I'm feeling very proud. As you know, Susie, I'm the Chancellor of the University of Chester. Yes. And up at the University of Chester, this last week, a whole raft of our Third-year nurses have been upskilling and former graduate nurses have been volunteering to get behind the NHS, to upskill so they can start working in the NHS sooner than they would have done uh, during their training, as it were, and returning to work in the NHS. And they've had lots of coverage on on the news. You may even have seen some of it. Anyway, Mm. uh, some of these young people are people to whom I've given degrees over the last two or three years and to whom I will be giving degrees. And I think they are just amazing. And I rather hope that there's going to be a a coronavirus 2020 medal, campaign medal. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of my family have been in the military. My son, son son-in-law, my father, grandfather, all, you know, had been soldiers. And you get a campaign medal just for being part of a campaign. And I think these guys... Deserve a campaign medal. Oh, that's a wonderful deserve. idea. It's a detail now. Anyway, I thought of them when I was looking for a 20-second poem to share with you. Okay. Should we dedicate it, this is it a to poem. them? Let's dedicate it to them and all these people. Yeah. It's by Emily Dickinson, uh, who is a Victorian-American poet. It's very short, only takes 20 seconds or even less. If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can ease one life the aching, or cool one pain, or help one fainting robin 
unto his nest again. I shall not live in vain. That is beautiful. I can't think of genuinely can't think of anything more fitting for for those who are doing what they are. Now, fantastic rose tinted spectacles. People often say, yes. "I look at the world through rose tinted spectacles." Where do they? Come well, that's from? good. Well, it's simply been a metaphor. I don't know if there were any rose tinted spectacles of the kind that uh, Christopher Biggins might wear, but. 1780 was the first record I could find and it's always meant characterised by optimism or when something's cast in a favourable light. So it's always meant that. What about, we're hoping there's going to be a silver lining to all this Mm. and in some ways there is going to be a silver lining. One of the things most people have discovered is that if they go work in an office, most of the meetings they've been attending over the last 20 years weren't necessary. So that's a silver lining, we're discovering that. Where does silver lining come from? I guess that is true. Um, So silver lining was... First, I'm just looking here at the OED proverb from John Milton. There you go. Was I deceived or did a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the night? I should have known that. Milton also gave us Trip the Light Fantastic, which is wonderful too. He Um, gave us so much. And I remember that line because at school I did... It's a mask called Comus. Yes. C-O-M-U-S. Yes. A mask, M-A-S-Q-U-E, a kind of play, a poetic Masquerade, play. Masquerade, yeah. That's where that line comes from. Oh, well done him. Beautiful, well, isn't it? Well, we haven't mentioned what the about being... Blue Ribbon. When you're yes. talking about um, awards and, and medals, blue, blue Ribbon, you know, if somebody wins today at a county fair, oh, yeah. for example, they're awarded a Blue Ribbon. And if a group of the best minds are assembled to... To, is assembled to study something. They're called a blue ribbon panel, aren't they? But the blue ribbon is the emblem of the Order of the Garter. And you'll know about this. One of Britain's highest orders of knighthood and only the sovereign can give it. Um, and that's why the blue ribbon connotes, you know, excellence. The highest honour you can get. It is the oldest honour. The oldest chivalric honour is the Order of the Garter. Okay. How wonderful. It is, isn't it? What about Blue Ribboned, that race that they have to cross the Atlantic? Who's the fastest ship across the Atlantic? Well, maybe it's it's a riff on that. I think it is. I think it's R-I-B-A-N-D. N-D, yeah. Blue Ribboned. Yeah. Am I right? Yes, I think you are right. Ribboned, for sure. Now, I know this one, the origin of white elephant, something that's useless, got around the house. It's a white elephant. Give me, I'll tell you what I think You tell me. I think it is to do with the King of Siam, whose custom it was to give rare albino elephants to courtiers who had displeased him. Because then they couldn't get rid of it because it had been given to them by the king. But, of course, it was very expensive to maintain. And white elephants Um, couldn't be worked, so they were considered to be very sacred. But ah. they were so sacred they had to be looked after extremely well, but they couldn't bring in any money. Uh, So, yes, that's where it comes from. Siam being Thailand now. A white lie, I suppose, means it's an innocent lie, yes. a well-intentioned lie. Yes, and they used to call about they used to talk about black lies uh, by association as well. So the really kind of evil, heinous ones were black lies, whereas a white lie is a fib. And fib, I love this. Fib is short for fibble fabble, which was a trivial falsehood. A fib. I like that one. Before we get on to a couple of my favourite acronyms, just a quickie. I've long, long to know about this. You've explained to me that the colour orange is named after the fruit. Yeah. The colour maroon. Yeah. Has that got anything to do with being marooned? No. I was marooned on a desert. Oh. 
No, two very different ones. But it's a really good question because you'd be forgiven for thinking that that it would be. So the maroon that means abandoned goes back to the maroons, which are capital M. They were descendants of runaway slaves who lived in the mountains and forests of uh, Suriname and the West Indies. And they take their name from a Spanish word meaning wild or feral. In the early 18th century, to maroon someone was to abandon them on a similar kind of desolate island and leave them there as a form of punishment. So slightly imperialistic origins, I think, that one. The maroon that we talk about with the colour goes back to the French marron, meaning a chestnut, because maroon is chestnut coloured. And that also gave us the maroon that was used as an air raid warning during the First World War, because a chestnut on a fire makes a bit of a, a loud bang when it bursts. What's your favourite pudding? Some people love marron glacé. What's yours? Where did that come from? It suddenly, I just suddenly fantasised. I thought, oh, my favourite pudding. Let's have a lovely pudding together. Okay, blackberry and apple crumble and ice cream. Oh, 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 my, that is perfect. <laughs> I like is? bread and butter pudding. I like bread and, bread and butter, butter pudding. pudding. It's gorgeous. Yeah. All of that. I'm eating so much sweet stuff during this lockdown, I have to say. I prayed. I've put on nearly half a stone. <laughs> Despite your one show uh, yoga. Yes. Oh. I've had a call. I've, I've been calling lots of people and getting lots of calls. Yes. And my friend Christopher Biggins oh, called me. Oh, I just mentioned me. him, yes. Yeah, and who is he's a glorious person. And we've agreed that the moment this lockdown is over, we are going to go and out to have lunch together nice. with our partners. And I shall be having bread and butter pudding nice. as my pudding. Nice. But he's managing not to put on weight, which is impressive. Oh, wow. But I'm not so much worried about the weight. It's just that it's so addictive, sugar, and I just find myself yearning for it at every opportunity. And then, of course, you're kind of stuck around the house and, you know, you just think, oh, I'm going to do a bit of work, but I need a bit of a pick-me-up. And there you go. There's the chocolate tin. Now, do you know, can you give me in correct order the colours of the rainbow? No. (laughs) I, I could guess, but I could try, but I'm not going to. You don't know. I mean, this is... The, we are definitely of a different generation because when I was a little boy, very little boy, in the 1950s, we all learnt the acronym Richard of York. Yes. Well, it's, it's a mnemonic, it's not an acronym. Richard of York gave battle in vain. Yes. And the initial letters of those words give you the colours of the rainbow, don't yeah, they? Do. Richard of York gave battle. It's about Richard III. And, That's the Richard involved. And then you've got uh, the, the I Can Sing a Rainbow. That's lovely. No, but... but, but what are the colours then? Richard of York gave battle in vain. They are red, orange, spit it out. red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Correct. Well done. <laughs> a horse, a horse, my kingdom, but a horse. I've seen a rainbow. Oh. Um, can I just can I just mention? I promise that we come back to black sheep, etc. Yes, of course. And I'm fascinated by the fact. I don't. This is not giving any explanation for it because I don't really understand it. But different countries and different cultures have very different perceptions of colour. So in German, it's yellow rather than green that's associated with envy. The Koreans um, have green meaning anger. Um, And in Lithuanian, I love this, rage is expressed not with a single colour, but with varying colours for different levels. So white is kind of controlled anger. You're on top of it. Red is normal, normal anger. um, That's sort of fairly justified. Blue is intense anger and black is extreme incandescent anger. And I mentioned also that the black sheep for the Italians was actually a really good thing. It meant confidence and and independence. And there was an ad for... Volkswagen, I think it was a Golf, with a black sheep in the middle of a larger flock. And the idea is that somebody who owned a VW Golf was unique and self-assured. Whereas for us, that would mean something completely different. 
um mm. and and it's similar with you know you, you might say in this country pink for a girl blue for a boy that that's really outdated now but in other countries it's completely different so it's femininity i think in the netherlands is blue rather than pink so i just find that really fascinating and i'm not quite sure i'd love to look into the cultural history in fact there is a wonderful book all about colour and and the histories of different colours and their associations, which I can heartily recommend. And it's called The Secret Lives of Colour by Cassia St. Clair. And it's just a lovely read. I recommend it. Does it tell me about being yellow? Because you said that yellow can be positive, but yellow in our culture, I think, means being cowardly. He was a yellow. He had a yellow Yellow, streak. Or a yellow belly, yes. And I think it's to do with its pallor, really, because if you were lily-livered, again, your your liver was pallid, wasn't it? And just not full of blood, not as lusty as it should be. So I think it probably comes from that. But again, it's just a very particular association. And in other countries, they might not have the same thing at all. My friend, you like me name-dropping. I know you've complained (laughs) that I haven't name-dropped enough. My friends, uh, Andrew Lloyd's Bank, and Sir Tim Rice are generously putting out next week for free. Mm. You can watch it, I think, on YouTube, the first of their musicals or uh-huh. the first big success of their musicals, which was uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. My favourite of their musicals, actually. I loved it. Yes. Anyway, can you tell me how many colours there were in mm. Joseph's Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? No, there's the song, isn't there? Um, there is. And Tim is a good song? countdown friend, so he won't be happy. Um, no, tell me how many. It was yellow and green and Perfect. brown and scarlet and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive and violet and fawn and lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve and cream and crimson and silver and rose and azure and lemon and russet and grey and purple and white and pink and orange. That's just poetry That's in 28. Itself, 28. Lovely. Well, it is poetry. Yeah. In fact, one of Tim Rice's lyrics is in my collection of poems to learn by heart, oh. Dancing by the Light of the Moon. Yeah, no, he's, okay. he's brilliant. Look, have we had any letters this week from people? Oh, we've had brilliant letters. And I have to say, they're really keeping us going. Well, I'll speak for myself. They're really keeping me going because it's just lovely to have people, to know that people are listening as we're kind of holed up in our, you know, separate homes, not able to see each other. So to have that kind of community of the purple people genuinely, genuinely means a lot. So please keep the letters coming. And I am just looking now i'm clicking to our correspondence email here we had a brilliant one giles now i told you about the origin bluetooth last week and aiden england has been in touch with the most amazing topper fact it tops this and i had no idea about it so you know the bluetooth symbol if you have a look on your phone if you want to enable bluetooth or not it's actually a combination of two runes from the old Germanic alphabet. So these two runes represent initials. So there's one that looks like an asterisk and then there's one that looks like a spiky B. And then you put those two together and they give you the H and the B for Harold Bluetooth. And I, I just love that. I had no idea, Aidan, so thank you. Well, there you are. Yeah, so do you remember Harold thank Bluetooth, you. the king who united Denmark and Norway and various warring factions in the 10th century? Uh, and Bluetooth was chosen for the name of the technology because it unites different devices um, in much the same way that he united countries. So anyway, I love that, Aidan. Thank you for that. Um, we have one from Maureen O'Hare. 
This is a, discuss- a follow-up to our discussion on grockles. So grockle being the term certainly that my dad uses in Devon, but as we've been discovering right across the country, uh, people talk about grockles for tourists and mostly unwanted people who seem to flood in during the summertime. And Maureen says... With the discussion around grockles, I was reminded of the Irish term blow-in, a term used by long-term inhabitants of an area to describe any new residents who weren't born and raised locally. I love that, a blow-in. It's suggesting that people are blown in with the wind for another locale. I love that. Sorry about the next door's dog. <laughs> you can hear that in the back. He's obviously a grockle. Well, I remember, because I'm now reverting to um, name-dropping mode, many years ago I worked with Kenneth Williams on his books, and I do remember going to a signing session with him and uh, there were people lined up and he um, wrote in somebody's book for Emma Chisett. Oh, yeah. And she said, that's not my name. I asked, Emma Chisett. <laughs> <laughs> She'd simply been inquiring the price of the book. He'd misheard and thought her name was Emma Chisett. Oh, I love that. Um, this is a letter on Chisits, yes. C-H-I-Z-Z-I-T-S, from Stephen Marsland. Hi, both. Regarding the names people in coastal towns give to tourists, people in Skegness call tourists from, specifically, Leicester, Chisits, oh, because yeah. us Leicester locals, when asking <laughs> the price of something, will say, how much is it? I love that. So there you are. I love Goes that. Goes back to that old story. The Leicester, Nottingham and Derby accents have very subtle differences, which outsiders probably won't notice, but we do. Excellent. Even worse is when people think... Oh, the Midlands, brummy accent. That's from Stephen. Jazz, I've just shut the door. Is that better? Yeah. No more dog sounds. Scuddy. 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 Yes, what about Scuddy? Gary Jackson. Hi, Giles and Susie. My nan used to use the word scuddy as an extra adjective when describing something in a derogatory way. Not sure if this was just a substitute swear word or if it had genuine meaning. Have you come across it? Scuddy. Um, Well, it probably goes back to, and I think actually uh, this is mentioned in uh, the email from Gary, that scud was a mining term for kind of refuse um, or anything that was kind of left behind. So so it could be in in the tanning industry as well. It was kind of fragments of hair and lime and fat, which had to be removed from a hide. So all pretty horrible. So I think just referring to that was referring to something pretty horrible. It was an example, I guess, of, Lalochesia. Remember that? Lalochesia is the venting of stress and frustration through swearing. But it's a pretty mild swear, I would say, if, if one at all. I've told you before, you know, my parents never swore. No. My father, despite all the stresses and strains of life, I never heard him once even use the word bloody. It's extraordinary. Yeah, that is amazing. And, and bloody, of course, not particularly rude, although it was thought to be by Our Lady and a contraction of that. So it was thought to be blasphemous. But actually, as we said in our swearing episode, uh, it probably goes back to the bloods who were the aristocrats in the 18th century, 17th century, used to go around literally painting the town red and causing all sorts of havoc. So to be as drunk as a blood as one of them was to be bloody drunk. That's where we think it comes from. Um, I've got a lovely, lovely question from Craig Roberts, who is one of our oldest listeners, not in age, but just right from the beginning he's been with us. Craig Roberts asks, We I talked about the piñata, I mentioned it today as well, this sort of prop that I have from the comedy show which is a piñata of me who does look quite scary and she is huge and she's sitting in the corner of my study and Craig wondered where piñata comes from what the origin was 
And so I did a bit of digging, Craig, and it's thought to date back over 700 years ago to Asia. And it's thought that Marco Polo discovered Chinese people who were fashioning figures of cows or even buffaloes and covering them with coloured paper and then giving them all sorts of lovely decoration to greet the new year. And piñata actually is Spanish uh, for pot. But the idea, the tradition of it is uh, really, really old. Everything you say demands more questions. You mentioned Marco Polo. Is the game Polo named after him? Is the Polo Mint named after him? <laughs> I don't think so. Polo Mint, I've always, I don't know, Polo was a style of song in flamenco music. That was kind of Andalusian, I know that. But Polo, the game resembling hockey, it goes back to a Tibetan word, believe it or not, for uh, Polo, but meaning a ball. So there you go. One of the Tibetan polo words that we have in our language. Gosh. And what about the polo mint? I have no you know? idea about the polo mint. Isn't that interesting? I'll, oh, you'll I'll find look out. That. Well, we'll look into it. And maybe if anybody, any listeners want to look into it, they can let us know. Yeah, Do tweet us. Um, we're both on Twitter. I'm uh, Giles B1, G-Y-L-E-S-B1. What are you again on Twitter? I am at Susie underscore Dent. So you can tweet us or email us at purple at something else.com. Just amazing. And I rather hope that there's going to be a, a coronavirus just amazing. And I'd rather I have. So my first one, I think I've mentioned this one before, Giles, and I probably mentioned them as a real source of irritation because I really don't like the person that comes up to you and gives you a hearty slap on the back, who's kind of over-friendly and is the kind of physical equivalent of, um, well, the equivalent, I suppose, of the drunk cherubimical drunk who comes up and gives you a hug when they've had one too many. This is a shoulder clapper. A shoulder clapper, all one word, is a very old term for exactly that. Somebody comes and gives you a mighty slap. But do you know what? I've changed my mind. I think I'd really like to meet one now in my isolated state. Well, we hope you don't. <laughs> no, OK. Because Not at the moment. Got, Can I just say... You've got to keep distancing. In case he's listening, I went for a walk, my one designated walk yesterday, and a builder was working on a house, and he came out and just... I don't... Excuse the language coming out, but he gobbed, he spat. No. Yes. Not just, just one of those kind of... <laughs> right in front of me and I just I was so incensed but I thought I've got to get away from here because there'll be all sorts of particles in the air but honestly so if he's listening it was really unpleasant by the sound of it I don't think he will be listening to be honest (laughs) (laughs) but I hope he is just disgusting anyway uh, my next one which actually I might apply to this particular builder a Blunkerkin I have to say normally I love builders this is just an exception Blunkerkin Blunkerkin is a general incompetent a Blunkerkin a Blunkerkin it's just an old dialect word one of many for a kind of fool so yes I did get that one to him and last time I'm going to end with something positive and I remember the moment I discovered this and it really did fill me with uh, some happiness and it's the beautiful word respair R-E-S-P-A-I-R and it means a return to hope or a recovery and I think that's what we're all hoping for we're all wishing for lovely respair respair so it's repair with an S in the middle. Yes, or despair, but kind of flipped. Very good. Yes. Oh, I love that. It's a lovely word. It's beautiful. Thank you for those three words. I've just got a quick quotation this week. It's from George Bernard Shaw. And I've been thinking, there's wisdom in this. He once said, there is no love sincerer than the love of food. Rather neat, wasn't it? Lovely. Well, this has been 
uh, something rhymes with purple. Don't forget to give us a nice review if you've enjoyed it. Recommend us to a friend. If you've got a question you'd like us to answer or just want to get in touch, uh, you can email us at purple at something else.com. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Grace Laker and the really fully bearded Gully. He's no blunkerkin. We can see you, Gully. 